0: Hello everybody. We are uh, so honored today to be welcoming Dr. Michael Clapper to our expert series of events here at Ruby. Um, I just want to uh, welcome everybody and there's a a lot of new folks here new to Ruby. Uh, My name is Chad Sarno. Um, We do these live events and we welcome these great speakers and today we are, um, as I mentioned, we're joined by Dr. Michael Clapper who is um, An esteemed physician on our Ruby Wellness Board um, as well, and you know we we're in for quite a treat today. So uh, Michael is one of the America's uh, foremost authorities on nutrition and health, and provides a wealth of information about the effects of the standard American diet. And those of which he's going to be speaking to um, some of the most con- common categories of um, of foods of salt, sugar, and oil today um, when consumed on a daily basis. So, um, so a little bit about Michael. So, uh, Michael is a gifted clinician and also internationally recognized teacher, sought out speaker on diet and health. I have worked with Michael, uh, at, at dozens of events in the past and it's just such a pleasure to, to work with, with someone with such experience and such wisdom behind him that, um, that also has uh, has that spot of humor behind it as well. So he's he's absolutely a blast to listen to and to watch um, present. So uh, Michael is also an author of several books and also practitioner of preventative and nutritional medicine. He is uh, a member of the nutritional task force of the American Medical Student Association. Um, he also served as an advisor. I recently learned uh, for a NASA project, which was uh, very very interesting. Um, and then. He also served as the director of a nonprofit profit institute of nutrition education and research. So, uh, Michael currently is uh, practices acute care medicine all over the globe. He's been he's been working all over the globe for over forty years experience. Um, and he's currently on staff over at True North Health Center over in Santa Rosa, California. So um, I want to just give Michael a warm welcome and welcome everybody to uh, Ruby Live for this great event that we that we have for you today. Um, just a little bit about the event. Today is going to be a fantastic presentation that Michael is going to be presenting. And then we're going to take as many questions as we can. So... Um, so for whatever time that we have, we'll, we'll fill it with questions and answers, um, after the presentation. And if we don't get through all of them, we will certainly, um, certainly try our best to, to, to go through as, as many as we possibly can. Um, uh, again, I want to welcome everybody and give a warm welcome to, uh, Dr. Michael Clapper for joining us today for this fantastic event. Um, and on that note, I am going to pass it over to Michael. Over to you, Michael.
1: Well, thank you very much, Chad. And hi, everybody. I'm glad to be with you today for a discussion about some very important topics, because uh, salt, sugar, and oil certainly seem to dominate uh, Western cuisine these days, and uh, there's a place for them, but it's easy to abuse these substances, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the science behind, behind where these uh, fit into the human diet, if at all. Now. <clears throat> I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, salt sugar and oil I'm going to be making some so- some statements that have a very solid science behind them. Uh, however I'm not going to be going into the science uh, in this brief presentation so I want to let you know that I have gone into all the scientific presentations on video on the same subject, salt, sugar, and oil, it's available on my website, drclapper.com, where you can view it there. So if you have questions about uh, the uh, physics or chemistry or physiology behind the statements I'm making, uh, I invite you to go to my website and watch the complete presentation on salt, sugar, and oil. So all that said, let's get started. Uh, We'll start with salt, and the issue is everybody loves salt. What's the problem with consuming too much salt? Well, the problem is that uh, salt penetrates into the walls of the arteries, it makes us retain fluid, and both these effects make the blood pressure go up. And sustained high blood pressure uh, wreaks a terrible toll upon the body. Uh, the arteries begin to break down and leak and clot, and the organs dependent on these uh, arteries begin to suffer. And people who have sustained high blood pressure uh, wind up with terrible strokes and they bleed into the retinas and they go blind, their kidneys fail and their hearts fail, and so uh, the huge amounts of salt that Americans eat on a daily basis are behind these uh, health scourges. Also we're finding out recently that a steady intake of high salt also uh, turns on genes uh, in our DNA uh, that set off a cascade of autoimmune diseases that we're starting to see uh, joint pain and uh, various other inflammations in the body. So a uh, high salt diet is not our friend on many, many levels. So salt is not evil. We need it in our diet, but too much salt sets us up for some nasty diseases, here we see the good, the bad, and the ugly side of salt. So what do we do about this? Well, realize where the salt is lying, and it is in the prepared processed foods. Uh, Here's a a, uh, label off a popular can of soup. Uh, There generally should be one milligram of sodium, uh, which is a constituent of salt that causes the high blood pressure. Uh, One milligram of sodium for every calorie. Here we see uh, half a cup of soup has 90 calories. There should be 90 milligrams of sodium. Look there's 710 milligrams of sodium. This is classic of processed foods and uh, for that reason. the. Uh, We all have to be aware of uh, processed foods. Things out of packages, boxes and cans are inevitably loaded with salt. We really want to avoid them as much as possible. You want to eat whole foods, uh, as they were growing in the field. And this is the same with restaurant food, all that lovely Thai food and Italian food tastes so good because of all the salt that's in the sauces and gravies the chefs are adding in the kitchen. So be aware that if restaurant meals are classily loaded with salt, we see people going into a congestive heart failure after restaurant meals on a predictable basis. And speaking of processed foods loaded with salt, when you see something like this, know that uh, this is a this is a booby trap as far as salt goes, in fact. Keep in mind Michael Pollan's admonition when you see this stuff. To eat food, not edible food-like substances out of brightly colored packages and boxes, and that's exactly what this is. This is, this is not food. This is edible food-like substance in brightly colored packages and boxes. And when you see this, if you need to fortify your willpower, uh, just take out your three-word magic wand and say, "When you see this, that's not food because it really isn't." You really want to avoid the hidden salt here. So, what do we do uh, about the the issue about satisfying our our understandable desire to have some salt in our food? What you want to do, you want to entertain your tongue, and that's really what we're talking about here, because there's enough sodium in the, in the fruits and vegetables on their own without adding any added salt. There is no reason to add added salt at all. And so now this is all about entertaining your tongue. So what you want to do is develop the art of entertaining your tongue with non-salty flavorings, and you'll be fine. So what are these non-salty flavorings? Well, citrus um, has some wonderful properties to it. Uh, I've learned to to squeeze lemon juice uh, over my greens, and I squeeze it in the soup on my lentils. The taste buds for salt on your tongue are right next to the taste buds for sour that the citrus stimulates. So uh, an ace up your sleeve is to squeeze lemon juice or lime juice uh, over your food and uh, really uh, uh, go part way towards satisfying your salt cravings. Second, there's a whole world of wonderful flavored vinegars now, raspberry vinegars, fig vinegars. They're free of salt, they're free of calories and there's no reason they shouldn't be part of your armamentarium to make your food just taste great. So get to know these wonderful flavored vinegars available everywhere today. (laughs) <laughs> there are some wonderful commercial seasoning available uh, these days. I've become quite fond of this one uh, from the Benson's company. I have no commercial connection with this company or any other one. Uh, but uh, This is basically nutritional yeast with some dried herbs in it and it has a lovely salty flavor to it and yet does not add any sodium to the food that you uh, sprinkle it over. But speaking of salt subs- substitutes, you're taking a creative cooking course feel free to make your own salt substitutes. And you can do it in a, one of these little coffee grinders. There's wonderful recipes to add all these wonderful spices. You put them in the grinder and whoo, zip, and uh, the, the grinder goes, and you've got these lovely uh, salt substitutes to sprinkle over your food. If you just uh, do a computer search for homemade salt substitute recipes, uh, you'll find no end of them. So there's lots of things to do instead of uh, pouring salt on your food. But if you do like some salt on your food, fair enough, small, small amounts are not harmful, assuming you don't have heart failure or high blood pressure. So the way to use it is this, remember, the salt crystals on the surface of the food, as soon as you put it in your mouth, those crystals hit the tongue directly and produce a big sensation of saltiness. So the trick is, put the salt on the food directly at the table. And in that way just a few sprinkles, an eighth a pinch, you know, an eighth of a teaspoon, a quarter of a teaspoon of the most, sprinkled over the food at a given meal, will give you a lot of taste satisfaction. Uh, without the tremendous volume of salt. So again, add it at the meal. Use that, uh, that hated uh, salt shaker now that's become so despised. The truth is that's the, the best way to have control over the salt that you add because, uh, again, in the restaurant, the salt's already in the gravies and the sauces. And When you're making a soup, it's easy to put teaspoons of salt in. You don't want to do that to your guest or to yourself. Sprinkle it on the food at the table, and you'll get a lot of salt satisfaction with uh, very little actual salt. And speaking of which, if you're a fan of soy sauce or tamari, uh, this carries quite a salty punch as well. The best way to use these salty seasonings, instead of just pouring it out of the bottle onto your food, uh, put it into a spray bottle like you use to mist house plants. And uh, dilute it 50-50 with water. And you find it's a couple of sprays on your salad or on your veggies gives you a lot of salty coverage for very little actual salt. So here's a way to get a salt satisfaction in your meals uh, without using huge amounts of sodium that might cause harm to your body. So when it comes to using salt in any form, less is more. And the strategies I just outlined should help you do that. Let's move on to sugar. Uh, Everybody's got a sweet tooth, everybody likes uh, sugary things. So what's wrong with eating all these lovely high sugar foods? Well, the problem is your digestive system absorbs that sugar into your bloodstream avidly and you eat a meal that is just redolent with sugar, it flows through every tissue in your body. This is not a good thing. Why? Because if you ever spilled maple syrup on your kitchen table, you know why everything gets sticky and it happens in our body as well. Sugar avidly sticks to proteins in our body. We say the proteins become glycosylated. And these are important structures. We're talking about in your blood, in your eyes, your skin, uh, your blood vessels. You don't want to make them sticky with sugar because here's what happens. <laughs> the um, uh, Here's protein strands. These are collagen fibers uh, in your muscles. And these fibers should slide next to each other. They should be soft and pliable. But when you saturate them with sugar, uh, the sugar molecules start sticking and they grab onto a protein strand here and a protein strand there. You get what's called cross-linking of your protein strands. It makes the proteins thick and stiff. They crack. They break. We're talking about your muscle proteins, the proteins in uh, the inner lining of your blood vessels. This is not good to to stiffen and cross-link your uh, uh, proteins anywhere in the body. But the damage doesn't stop there after a big sugary meal. and uh, uh, Because once the sugars stick to the protein, remember, we're in the human body where it's 98.6 degrees. And what this does is creates the very same reaction that happens when you bake bread. When you bake bread, what happens? You combine the the sugar, the pastry flour, with the gluten, the protein uh, in the bread, and that combined with heat creates what's called the Maillard reaction, and, and you see it, that's what the bread crust is. And these lovely protein strands of the gluten become congealed and oxidized and, uh, and really destroyed. The crust is fine on a baguette, but you don't want to run the, the Maillard reaction in your body because these, these oxidized, twisted, destroyed proteins are called advanced glycation end products. And You don't have to worry about the name, remember the initials, A-G-E-S, it ages you, that's the problem. Eating sugar as a food ages you. Now before I freak everybody out who uh, likes to, to enjoy an apple or banana, <clears throat> um, this is not coming from natural foods, but here's what happens. We'll talk about that in a minute, but here's what happens. You run the Maillard reaction on the elastin proteins in your skin and they become thick and they crack and they break and it ages your skin. You run the Maillard reaction in the proteins of your the lens of your eye and if they oxidize and thicken and become opaque to light, set you up for cataracts. You don't want to run the Maillard reaction on the proteins that line the, the arteries and the capillaries in your brain and other vital structures because oxygen has to go across these membranes. So you don't want to run the Maillard reaction in your tissues, and it comes from uh, from too much sugar. Eating sugar as a food ages you. That's the most important thing to learn from this section. Now the problem is not a teaspoon of, of maple syrup in your tea that's the proper use of these sugars as a flavoring. The problem is eating sugar as a food. Who eats sugars as a food? Well, we just, and you don't want to eat Sugar as a food. It was never meant to be eaten as a food. But we've become a sugar-eating nation. And this is eating sugar as a food. 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 It was never meant to be eaten as a food. You don't want to eat sugar as a food. I hope I've made that clear. That's not what sugar is for. It's a flavoring, not a food. Even if you add milk and freeze, it is still sugar as a food. Don't eat sugar as a food don't drink it either. Soft drinks have atrocious amounts of sugar. 13 teaspoons of sugar in a 20 ounces every bottle of soft drinks these days. And commercial fruit juices are just as bad. They are pure sugar water. They have as much sugar as uh, as commercial soft drinks as well. So if you need a little visual to remember why you shouldn't eat sugar as a food because it ages you. Here's a woman about to do that very thing. She's about to eat sugar as a food. Watch what happens. Six months after eating sugar as a food Okay, um, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, of course, but it's, it's a visual why you don't want to reach for that chocolate bar or that cupcake because it ages you, it ages you on the inside. Okay, so what do you do about it? Well, we all like sweet uh, foods, no doubt about it, well Mother Nature came to our rescue and she made sweet uh, foods very accessible. She made them brightly colored, hanging from trees, easy to reach. Of course, we're talking about fruits. And, and they're sugars, of course, but they're gentler sugars instead of pure concentrated sucrose uh, in these confections uh, I showed you earlier. And they come with water and with vitamins and minerals and antioxidants, phytonutrients. They do good things in your body. So you're taking this lovely food preparation course. Become artistic and creative and enjoy all the wonderful desserts and treats you can make with fruits. There's a whole world of crisps and cobblers and cakes and pies and turnovers and tarts. This is where you you want to focus uh, your your sweet tooth and your sweet endeavors. Uh, this uh, This will put the sweetness in your life in a very positive, helpful way. And Not only making desserts and treats out of sweets. But use them in your cooking. If you're going to make oatmeal, instead of pouring sugar in the oatmeal, throw in some raisins, throw in some dates. Take advantage of the wonderful natural sweeteners that are available to you for cooking as well. Now, you don't want to drink sugar um, for the reasons that I mentioned. But we all like sugary drinks, especially if I play softball on a hot summer day. I like a nice uh, uh, soft drink afterwards. So what do you do? Well, you don't rely on diet sodas for sure. Those things, I feel, are very harmful. They damage your bones. They, they hurt your teeth, and they have unknown effects on, on all the cells in our body. <laughs> um, best drinking be- beverage, of course, is water. But if you like that sweet, fizzy drink on a hot summer's day, make your own. Uh, take some cold sparkling water, take a tall glass, put a couple uh, fingers high of uh, your favorite natural fruit juice in the bottom, uh, throw in a couple of ice cubes and fill it up with sparkling water and enjoy your own natural fizzy drink without all that terrible fruit, uh, fructose, uh, high fructose uh, syrup that's put into commercial soft drinks. Now people say, well, what about chocolate? Is it okay to eat chocolate? Well, it turns out science says that actually a couple squares of dark chocolate a day don't cause any harm, and they might even be mildly beneficial in, in, some, uh, in some cases. But what you don't want to do is consume milk chocolate. This is just congealed butter, fat, and sugar. Uh, some dark chocolate uh, is probably okay, but use it as a garnish. Grate it or grind it up, and use it as just a sprinkle on top of, uh, on top of your dessert. So a little bit of dark chocolate is okay, but easy does it there. Like salt, less is more. So uh, the invitation to, in this course, uh, especially this talk, is become an artist in, in preparing fruit and use that to satisfy your sweet tooth. Much safer, much healthier. So now let's move on to oils. <clears throat> Well, they've certainly gotten a lot of press these days. We've heard about the Mediterranean diet and it's heart healthy, it's wonderful. The New York Times article about the Mediterranean diet study said their first sentence in the article was pour on the olive oil, you know, like some magic heart protective substance. Well, scientists scoff at that. The truth is, as much as it may be painful to hear, you hear me say this, the truth is, liquid oils, including olive oil, they are nothing but liquid fat in a bottle. That's what they are. They are 100% pure fat. And In fact, one way to look at them, quite honestly, they're the white sugar of the fat world. When you think about it, you know, to make white sugar, they, they just take the, the, the sucrose out of cane juice and crystallize it and just leave all the other good nutrients in the cane juice behind. That's what these oils are. They just take the fat out of olives and put it in a bottle and try and convince you that it's healthy, and it is not. Including olive oil. <laughs> the Greek people are the most obese people in Europe from all the olive oil they eat because it's liquid fat and it has the exact same amount of fat that, that solid animal fats do. Nine calories a gram, every tablespoon has 13 and a half grams of fat, There's 120 calories in every tablespoon. And if you're trying to lose weight and you're pouring liquid fat on your food, you are going to be frustrated. It will, uh, if it won't make you fat, it, it will keep you there. So see the truth of pouring liquid fat on your food, and it does damage on the inside as well. Here's a tube of blood after one has eaten a healthy plant-based meal. This is what your blood is supposed to look like after you eat. Um, you're drawn into a tube. The clot goes to the bottom. The liquid part, the serum, rises to the top. It should be crystal clear, but you eat a meal full of oil and other fats as well, but you eat uh, an oily, oily meal, that oil oozes out into your blood and your blood turns fatty. It's called lipemia <clears throat> and now, not everybody shows it this optically densely, but everybody has a wave of fat that goes to their bloodstream after you eat a bunch of olive oil or any kind of oil. And for the next five hours, your blood runs thick with fat, and not good things are happening. It's layering out your arteries, it's building up your fat store, changing your hormones. It is not good to do this to your bloodstream. And speaking of your bloodstream, when that oil is flowing through your bloodstream, the oil coats the red blood cells. And the red blood cells that carry oxygen, they start getting sticky, a little film of fat around all the red cells. They start sticking to each other, and as a result, the blood gets thicker, the blood gets more viscous. Blood viscosity goes up after an oily meal. Well, this is not good for a number of reasons. <clears throat> You've. Uh, yeah, to force thick blood through tiny capillary beds, it takes a higher pressure. The heart's got to pump harder. It's like forcing molasses through a soda straw. And uh, so the oils will raise blood pressure. But the blood starts sludging, it starts moving more slowly, and so um, oxygen gets extracted from it and and, uh, more avidly, and so as the red blood cell moves down the capillary beds, uh, the poor (laughs) nerve cells or muscle cells downstream, by the time the red cell gets down there, the oxygen has been extracted from it. And so there's a uh, uh, a chronic shortage of oxygen delivery to the tissues. And uh, olive oil and these oils are not friendly to the actual wall of the arteries. Um, it, it injures the inner lining of the artery. It makes them less able to dilate and 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 lower blood pressure. These these liquid oils are toxic to your artery walls. And studies have been done. The science is solid. And it doesn't matter what the oils are olive oil, soybean oils, palm oils in this study they have a detrimental effect on the inner lining of your arteries. And, And you're as old as your arteries. You really want to take care of them. And pouring liquid oils through them is not a gentle thing to do with your arteries. And so to confront this whole Mediterranean diet thing, the reality is, as as health conscious people who are trying to learn how to cook in a healthy way, no matter what you've heard and no matter how much you might like the taste of it, the truth is that pouring olive oil on your food does not suddenly make them heart healthy. That's what the Mediterranean diet thing has become, where we pour oil on the food. Oh, that was a healthy meal, Mediterranean diet. The truth is, that whole Mediterranean diet study was, I, I believe, just really a shoddy, shoddy science and with a very misleading con, uh, conclusion. The truth is, both the group eating the Mediterranean diet with olive oil versus the, the Mediterranean diet with, uh, with nuts and seeds. Truth is, both of these people, the, both of these groups of people were, were way overweight, and as you followed them over the, the years, they all had an appalling number of heart attacks and deaths equal in both the olive oil group and the, the nuts and seeds group. There were a few less strokes in the olive oil group, and because of that, that's what they trumpeted this wonderful, oh, it's a heart-healthy diet, but it isn't, and neither the, the Mediterranean diet with the olive oil or with the nuts and seeds, neither of them reversed heart disease in both groups. They all just continued on to get their heart attacks and strokes. There's only one diet that will truly open up your arteries and reverse heart disease, and that is a whole food, plant-based diet with no added oils to it. <clears throat> and the number of observer, uh, scientific observers that says most likely the heart benefits of a Mediterranean diet are due to it being basically a vegetarian diet, and that it's good in spite of the olive oil, not because of it. So let's come right down to it. This woman is about to do herself great harm with the food she's about to eat. There's nothing magic about olive oil. If she has a salad on which she has poured olive oil, this is not suddenly a healthy Mediterranean diet, a healthy meal. Mm -hmm this kind of food is full of fat and and oil and and, uh, other harmful constituents. Just because you poured olive oil on your salad before you ate this food, you have not created a magically healthy meal for yourself. It's not a Mediterranean diet style. So what I'm asking you in this section to understand is that don't see olive oil as a health food. It's not. It's liquid fat in a bottle. And pouring oil on your food is pouring oil on your food. And there's nothing healthy or natural about that. <laughs> so what do you use instead of olive oil? Well, what do you really use olive oil for? Really, you know, the vast majority of uses of olive oil really boiled down to two things. You use You stir fry your veggies in it and you make salad dressings with it. Those are the two things that most people use large amounts of olive oil with. Well, you don't have to... to uh, Stir fry your veggies in olive oil, and most any liquid will work just fine to stir fry your vegetables. And seasoned vegetable broth is a lovely medium. Uh, Chad Sarno, will, uh, our esteemed chef, will teach you how to sweat an onion and use, use the juice from that to, um, to stir fry your veggies. Water, any, any liquid will do to stir fry your veggies. Don't think you have to, to uh, stir fry your veggies in oil. And in fact, After you've gotten away, you've broken the chains to to the the Mediterranean diet oil myth, and you stop pouring oil on your food. You realize how unhealthful and how unappetizing it is. Until you walk into a restaurant, order vegetables, and someone brings you the vegetables that have been fried in oil, and you look at it and you say, "That is disgusting! It's dripping with oil!" And your tastes really do change. And so the invitation here is to evolve past. This, uh, this idea that, that food fried in oil is healthy. It's not. And it, quite honestly, is, it becomes very unappetizing. Now, what about salad dressings? Oh, can okay, I make it salad dressings without olive oil? Well, sure, you can. We do it at our clinic three times a day. We take some vegetables from the salad, some broccoli and onions and, and celery and carrots, throw it in a blender with some water, a couple of walnuts, a piece of an orange, maybe a little avocado, hit the buttons, ooh, salad dressing. And there are dozens and dozens of recipes available for you. I'm sure you'll find them on the course. Uh, so now you can certainly make your own salad dressing without olive oil, but you have to pour that on your salad. You can use these lovely flavored vinegars, lots of things to put on your salad. So again, the invitation is to break the chain that tells you that salad dressings have to have olive oil. They certainly don't. So what's the take-home of the entire presentation I've just made? Salt, sugar, and oil are not health foods. They are titillating agents to put on your tongue for the sake of taste. That's really, really all that they really are. They are too easy to use too much of. And, and if you want to be a responsible chef creating healthy foods, then you really have to refocus your ideas about these three substances. None of the, the reality is that. You can certainly do without them, and that's really the safest, best way to prepare your foods without adding added salt and added sugar and added oil. And In fact, there is now among us health-oriented physicians uh, a strong movement uh, to promote what's called an SOS, salt, oil, sugar-free eating style, because you can certainly make delicious, wonderful plant-based foods without slathering a bunch of oil and sugar and salt on top of it. It's not that difficult. It's an elegant, beautiful cuisine, and that's exactly what you're learning uh, in this wonderful course that you're taking. So the take-home of this, <clears throat> because there are people say, well, what if I bring my veggies out, and I want to spray a little olive oil just as a, color, just a flavoring uh, at the table, just a little spritz of oil on the top, or just a couple of sprinkles of salt. Fair enough. Lightning's not going to come down from the sky and, uh, and, and I, I wouldn't be honest if I said that it would. So the take home of this is that if, if, if you're a healthy person without high blood pressure etc and, and clogged arteries and you're eating a whole food, plant strong diet, lots of greens and, and yellow vegetables and whole grains etc, a pinch, a pinch of salt or a, a spray of diluted soy sauce. A half a teaspoon of sweetener or a few drops of oil for flavoring at the table on your veggies are probably benign. And if that helps you to you enjoy the taste a little bit, fine. But as I said, you don't want to fry foods in oil. You want to pour oil on your salad. You don't want to eat sugars of food. Uh, you don't want to eat uh, salty, salty processed foods. Remember, as the toxicologists say, the dose makes the poison. You can get away with a little bit of it, maybe, assuming you're healthy, but the more you use, the more your health suffers. Because remember, your body is never lucky. You don't have to uh, argue with Dr. Clapper here. It's your body you have to answer to. And so Shakespeare said, To thine own self be true. Dr. Clapper says, Thine own health be true. And so uh, when it comes to salt, sugar, and oil, less is more. So the imitation has become artful in creating this delicious, wonderful uh, salt oil sh- added, salt oil sugar free. There's always you know salt and oil and natural sugars naturally in whole foods, but it's the added salt, oil, and sugar that you want to take a pass on. And if you do, the rewards are tremendous. There's such a delicious. Taste treat waiting for you in these wonderful, wonderful plant-based foods uh, that will emerge once you uh, free your tongue from the uh, uh, from uh, being abducted by the uh, salt, sugar, and oil uh, uh, practices that constitutes modern Western cuisine. So. Uh, That was the invitation to uh, Healthy Up Your Diet. Let me extend another invitation to you about a wonderful program that Ruby is now participating in that you really should know about if you don't already and I urge you to support it if you do. That's their wonderful program called Culinary Rx and if you you uh, sense enthusiasm and incitement in my voice, it's for real uh, because as a practicing physician, who sees that the majority of people are in my office waiting room and are sick from what they are eating? The problem is the American diet, the Western diet. And people are just pouring salt, sugar, and oil and animal flesh through their bloodstream hour after hour after hour, and it's literally killing us. But to teach someone how to to prepare healthy food is beyond the scope of a visit in my doctor's office. And it would be so wonderful just to give the patient a card or a website and say, listen, there's a course, just take this online course, and they will show you how to make healthy food. And that's exactly what Culinary Rx does, and along with it, there's a parallel course to, uh, to educate the doctors and uh, health professionals on how to use plant-based foods to get their patients' helpers. So the culinary RX has this twin Uh, uh, track program for the public to learn how to eat healthy food and for the health professionals how to prescribe it and it's the answer to a prayer, it's the arrow in the quiver that we've been missing. It's the piece of the puzzle that uh, both the health system and uh, the public needs and and Ruby has stepped up to the plate and uh, has created this great program. So uh, they need some financial help to getting off the ground, and I urge that you support them. But very importantly, talk about it uh, to your friends and relatives. Take the course yourself. You've already taken a good one. Uh, and uh, you have friends and relatives who, know you, who you know need to eat healthier. Send them over to Culinary Rx when everything is up and running, and uh, you'll, you can save their lives. So, that's the uh, message that I want to deliver today. Again, you can go to my website and you can see the entire presentation full of all the uh, scientific principles behind it and the salt, sugar and oil presentation along with some other ones as well. And it's just been an honor to uh, share this information with you and uh, I look forward to staying affiliated with Ruby and their good work for many years to come. So with that, I will uh, turn it back over to to Chad and I will... uh, um, invite uh, the questions and answers, and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully uh, shine a little more light on these uh, very important talks.
0: Jeff? Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. That was fantastic. It's always great to watch your slides and listen to you speak. You have so much knowledge on the subject, and uh, and we just really, really appreciate you being here with us today. So. Um, you know, I I completely agree. You know, I mean, as as budding chefs in this course, and existing chefs, you know, a I've mentioned this many times in the class uh, is you know really a wellness-centered chef is a well-versed chef, and understanding how to prepare foods for all dietary all dietary needs is so important. Dietary restrictions out there, and and certainly uh, working with uh, salt-free, oil-free, or just minimizing these items in cuisine is is so important because, as chefs, I mean we so heavily rely on these items to build flavor and and um, you know really, the key is is building flavor uh, through emphasizing each ingredient 's fullest potential you know um, you know and we talk a lot about this within the course with flavor development and um, and just you know building flavor without relying on these items or or just using them in uh, in minimal amounts. I think it 's really, really important uh, for any chef to understand that. Uh, along with working with dairy alternatives and uh, plant based proteins and so forth, so um, it certainly is a huge interest of our students to to dive into uh, working with working with different um, uh, different types of cuisines and these you know different dietary restrictions and so forth so so thank you very much for that that encouragement uh, dr clapper it 's been been very very great uh, listening to you so you know all of that information and so much more is covered in our in our plant-based professional course you know we cover uh really all all topics around uh that are under the plant-based umbrella in terms of uh, plant-based cuisine from uh from therapeutic and more comfort foods uh which which you should eat uh definitely less of but definitely show all sorts of uh all sorts of ways to prepare uh just plant-based foods in general so um so i want to uh just mention you know we have we have this culinary rx campaign as doctor clapper had mentioned which we are so excited about you guys and um if you haven't gone over to that page yet please go uh, do so and there's gonna be a link posted here so you can just cut and paste uh... drop it in your browser check it out after the event we're so thrilled about this uh... this this um... this this whole campaign to get physicians prescribing plant-based cooking and it is so needed in the in the marketplace and it's uh... You know, we're looking at launching this in the next couple months to be available to patients and just consumers in general. And it would just be just a great, great tool for physicians and healthcare professionals to have uh, in their box of tools. So um, I also want to mention we have a live event happening on this coming Monday that will speak to um, all the questions that that folks may have around the Culinary Rx program. So certainly take a look at that on our live events page. Um, and also just a just note, uh, I wanted to mention that um, this event and all of our live events are recorded, so this will be up on our live events page for you to view afterwards as well. So if you are not able to stay for the whole uh, whole time today um, or miss parts of it, then certainly check it out on the live events page uh, tomorrow. It'll be up. So uh, I am going to pass it over to Dr. Clapper because we have a lot of questions to cover in about 25 minutes. We'll get through as many as we possibly can, and then I will close off. Uh, the session in a little bit. So thank you all very much for joining us today, and I'm going to pass it over to Michael. Over to you, Michael. Okay, Jeff. Yeah. And uh, let me know when uh, when
1: uh, when uh, we've run to, out of time to answer the questions. Okay, let's buzz through these. Are Celtic or Himalayan sea salt uh, superior to? Uh... Oh, I'm, I'm beat you there. Okay, uh, let me know when my time is up. Okay are Celtic or Himalayan sea salt superior to nutritionally to table salt, minimally. Salt is salt, and if you have high blood pressure or you're concerned about autoimmune diseases, they all uh, put you at risk for this. Now, Himalayan sea salt has a few sea minerals in it, um, and it's better, I suppose, because it's got a little iodine, got a little manganese, although the, um, these minerals are in food. They're in root vegetables, they're in green leafy vegetables, so you do fine without them. But if you are going to be using that little pinch of salt, a pinch of salt, then a, uh, <clears throat> little, uh, then you might as well use the Himalayan sea salt. But again, there's nothing magic about it. There's nothing you can't oh, I'm putting Himalayan sea salt on my, uh, on my cheeseburger here. It, it's now a healthy meal. It's not. So uh, less is more even with Himalayan sea salt. There's nothing magic about it despite the advertising. <clears throat> the next question is about coconut oil and similarly. Coconut oil is more liquid fat. There's nothing healthful about it. It turns your blood thick and it fatty. It's liquid fat in a bottle. The, the, there's been a whole kerfuffle while it reverses Alzheimer's. It does not. As far as I know, I've seen no studies showing that. And Again, if you're trying to get healthy arteries and put lots of fresh oxygenated blood in your brain to put these thick saturated fats, it's 97% saturated fat. Uh, it, it makes no sense to me to be consuming this. There's plenty of, it doesn't have that much in the way of the vaunted me, medium chain triglycerides. They too are available in other foods. The occasional piece of coconut, it's fine, but again, it's it's in the olive oil category. Oh, it's become magic and, and promoted. The truth is, it's more thick, liquid, saturated fat than a bottle. I'm not a big coconut oil fan either. Does Carbonated carbonated uh, fizzy water remove calcium from the bones? No, it does not. This is basically just carbon dioxide forced into water, and uh, you drink it. It uh, gets in the bloodstream. One pass through your lungs, you breathe that carbon dioxide right out like you breathe all the rest of your carbon dioxide that your body is making, second to second. So, uh, no, it will not uh, remove calcium from your bones. Uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the occasional glass of fizzy water. It um, will not damage your bones. Are nut butters as bad as olive oil? Um, it depends what you mean, as bad. And I haven't seen studies comparing the two. I mean, it's, it's uh, almond oil and, and peanut oil. Uh, you know, nuts are meant to be cracked open in the shell and eaten one at a time. And when you, uh, uh, when you grind them up and turn them into nut butters, it's very, very concentrated fat. And um, and it's so easy to go through tablespoon after tablespoon of almond butter and, and peanut butter. And again, this this is not a healthy thing to do to your blood. So there it's a it's a very, very concentrated taste treat. A little smear on a on a celery stalk, you know, once a week or twice a week is okay. But beware, um, they're not the friend of people trying to lose weight. They will foil the weight loss program. They're not uh, helpful for someone trying to uh, make free-flowing blood go through their arteries. So as much as delicious as they are, I used to eat lots of peanut butter and almond butter. I, I don't eat them now, except sparingly a few times you're I have a little bit cautious with those nut butters. They, too, are not a health food. Is nutritional yeast safe to eat in quantities above a tablespoon or two each day, um, fortified or not? Um, that's a sophisticated question. There's a fair amount of, um, of uh, substances that can uh, turn into, um, um, I believe, uric acid in nutritional yeast. A tablespoon or two is okay, but I, I would hold it at that. It can be stressful on the kidneys. And If you're going to be using nutritional yeast, absolutely, uh, you want it fortified with vitamin B12. It does not naturally have vitamin B12, but it's a great source for vegans who are looking for vitamin B12, but you've got to look on the label and see that it's been added uh, at the factory. It does not naturally contain vitamin B12. They added the factory, so you've got to see two or three micrograms of vitamin B12 per tablespoon on the label there. If you do that, if you're going to be eating nutritional yeast, get it B12-fortified much, much better. Is it true that salt pulls some important minerals out of your body and interferes with sleep? It certainly can. You eat a big salt load. You are you're going to lose water. The body's going to excrete that salt load, and it's going to take water and potassium out with it. Bigs. We were not meant to consume big salt loads, and so it's uh, uh, it's not helpful in that way. And could it just uh, uh, interfere with sleep? Sure, it could. Uh, it changes brain chemistry uh, when you change the uh, uh, the amount of salt and water in the blood, and so uh, if you're concerned about it, stop. Eating the added salt and the added salty foods and see if your sleep doesn't improve. But I suspect it may well. If muscle proteins are cross linked with sugar, will removing the sugar from the diet cause unlinking? Yes, oh, I'm glad you said that. These are not irreversible changes. Uh, the body, the muscle cells are constantly renewing itself those cross-linked proteins may be permanently injured, but they are they are eventually replaced, and there's a turnover in muscle tissue, and so, um, so don't think you've damaged yourself terribly just because you, you know, you're a big uh, cola drinker or whatever, but it's a word to the wise. You don't want to keep doing that to your, your bloodstream, so, so no, you haven't done permanent damage, but you, it's the ongoing damage that you don't want to keep creating with flooding your tissues with sugar day after day like most Americans do. Is eating too much fruit, like five pieces a day, age you, like five apples a day? Um, No, it won't. And the reason why it doesn't, because you are wise enough to mention five whole apples. Most of that apple is water, and pectin, and fiber, and, uh, and good phytonutrients, the amount of fruit sugar is pretty minimal, and it comes in with the vitamins and minerals to help in its own metabolism. So five apples during the day are not going to cause problem. Now, that's different than apple juice, uh, where they've just concentrated the apple sugar. That is going to cause harm. I'm not a fruit juice fan for that reason. But five pieces of whole fruit, I think, are absolutely fine. As I said, it's mostly water, and uh, those sugars that come in come in with vitamins and minerals that are actually beneficial. So when the government recommends five a day, uh, it's actually pretty good advice and have no concerns about eating uh, those uh, those five pieces of fruit, whole fruit a day. Can we meet our iodine needs through fresh fruits and veggies and leafy greens while avoiding sea vegetables? Another very sophisticated question. Iodine is actually an extremely important mineral. The thyroid gland needs four atoms of iodine and every molecule of thyroxine. Uh, in order to make this very, very important hormone that is, that is essential for life. <clears throat> now, um, the seawater is full of iodine, and things that come from the sea are full of iodine, and so the sea vegetables that she's talking about are an excellent iodine source, assuming they're clean and organic. They're a bit of a double-edged sword. Because some sea vegetables, uh, if they're harvested from the Yokohama shipping channel, are full of arsenic and diesel fuel and pollutants. It's hard to know if the, how pure uh, and clean the sea vegetables are, how much iodine is in each of them. The best sea vegetables would be wakame, w-a-k-a-m-e, or arame, a-r-a-m-e. Uh, those would be the best uh, in a few sprigs on your salad or in your soup a few times a week. Good idea. Kelp, is so high in iodine that you got to be careful with it. Just a few sprinkles of powdered kelp, a few sprinkles of powdered kelp on your salad or soup a couple times a week, that's a good iodine source. Beyond that, where it's a bit of a scramble, there used to be iodine in the soil and there still is of course and that's why it's important to eat root vegetables, carrots and potatoes and yams and, and turnips. Uh, these pull iodine out of the soil, green vegetables do it too, and so in healthy organic soils there's often enough iodine. So, the, um, uh, so that's why it's so important to eat whole plant food. You can't live on processed uh, noodles and soft drinks and think you're going to be well-nourished. So you've got to eat those root vegetables, those leafy vegetables. But that begs the question, will you get enough? Um, there are subtle signs of iodine deficiency. If you have signs of low thyroid function, you're cold all the time and your blood test shows low level of of the hormones T3 or T4 suspect iodine deficiency. Women who have breast tenderness should suspect iodine deficiency. And if there's any question, um, you can get your iodine uh, levels checked. The best way to do is a urine test. You can just collect 24-hour urine or you can... Take some iodine and collect the urine. And uh, most of the iodine, if you're full of, if your body has enough iodine, the iodine you take, most of that should wind up in the urine. If you take the test dose of iodine and very little shows up in the urine, that means your body was short of iodine and is hoarding it. So, if there's any question, you can do one of these iodine uh, tolerance tests and find out. Um, and if you are low, then do something. Uh, You should take an iodine supplement um, on a regular basis to keep your iodine level up. It's very important not to neglect it, and that's one of the nutrients, the deficiencies on people eating pure plant-based foods. Uh, Vegans can run short of B12, um, uh, DHA, long chain fatty acid, and iodine and zinc. Those are the four that, that sometimes vegans can run short of. So it's a good question and, and worth some, uh, some attention in your food choices and in your testing. I crave salty foods, why? might just be an acquired taste that you suddenly started liking them and and it becomes a taste preference you so just like sugars um, your body um, uh, your tongue and your brain just love that that salty taste it has nothing to do with the nutritional deficiency per se but sometimes it's a sign of a general mineral deficiency again if you've been eating too much processed foods uh, there may be other nutrients um, selenium, manganese, magnesium uh, that your body is craving it's manifesting a salt craving and for that reason all the more reason to just eat large amounts of dark leafy green vegetables and root vegetables green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow should be your favorite colors and you should be eating them large amounts on a steady daily basis And if you do, uh, especially lots of legumes as well, beans, peas, chickpeas, lentils, have these minerals as well. And again, those root vegetables are really key. If you do that, you're probably gonna be fine as far as minerals. And then it's a matter of just breaking a salt uh, uh, craving by not consuming it for the added salt for a few months and don't eat the chips and the schmips and the bips and the the salty foods. And eventually you start, uh, similar with the oil, you, you taste the salty food and say, ooh, that is so salty, it's not even appetizing anymore. What is the current recommended blood pressure? I saw somewhere that the goal was less than 115 millimeters systolic. Um, when The heart is a two-stroke pump. It, it beats and contracts, beats and contracts. When it beats, when, it, when the ventricles contract, that's called systole, and there's a surge of blood that goes out into the, uh, into the arteries, and that blood has a pressure, it's a wave of pressure that goes. and The wave of pressure when the heart beats, that's a systolic pressure. The question is, how high should it, uh, should it be and still be considered safe? Um, from the medical point of view, we get really concerned uh, when that pressure exceeds 140 millimeters of mercury. But in general, similar with using salt in your diet, lower is better. And we're much more comfortable with pressures in the 120 range. Everybody's different. It depends on your size. It depends on your physical activity, your age. Um, but uh, you like to see that systolic pressure in the in the 115, 120 range, and if it's over 140, you know, that's a red light, you better stop. Look at your diet, there's too much salt in it, too much fat in it, you're not exercising enough, you're carrying too much stress, eating too much processed foods. Start with the common uh, causes for high blood pressure. Get rid of those, stop the, the processed foods, the restaurant meals, the, the snack foods, all that stuff. Start taking a walk every day, drink plenty of water, uh, and, uh, and make sure there's enough dark leafy greens for the magnesium, potassium to dilate your blood vessels and lower the pressure. Do those things, and that pressure usually comes down into the 120 uh, range, but don't panic if it's over 115. Uh, very few Americans have 115, and, and they do quite fine you know, with it moderately higher than that, but 115 is a lovely number, nice goal to shoot for, but don't, don't give yourself high blood pressure over, not, uh, over having a 118 or 120. It's not that critical. Can too much non refined sugar, such as 20 to 40 dates per day, lead to health issues? Too much of anything can be a problem. 40 dates a day, that is a whole lot of fructose. And there's a whole lot of iron in that. And the body has a hard time getting rid of iron. You don't want iron overload. And you want to saturate your tissues with fruit sugar, uh, saturate your tissues with too much fruit sugar. Um, dates are, you know, they're the can, they're the natural candy bars. You know, that's what what candy bars are really trying to, uh, to to uh, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, create that effect. You know, when you eat a, a date, that's kind of what all these chocolate bars are trying to do. Um, they're so concentrated in sugar, they should be eaten in small bites, and, and savored. You you take a small bite of a date, make make date puree in your mouth, roll your tongue around in it, inhale it put a little behind your ear on your arm there you know, really be with that date and, and enjoy the, the sugary goodness of it. then have another little piece and make date puree in your mouth with that. you know take um, uh, take five or six or eight bites to eat a whole date there. Eat two or three of them and that should be enough. Of a sugar rush off dates. If you are shoveling dates in your mouth, and you have to do that to get 40 of them, uh, that's no longer eating. That I believe that starts bordering on gluttony. And it's just, even though they're natural, uh, that's that's too much uh, fruit sugar, in my opinion. What do we think about local stevia and erythritol? Interesting. If you when you're look, looking uh, for processed sweeteners, those seem to be the two most benign. Uh, from the stevia plant, and erythritol is a um, synthesized sugar, so a couple of drops of stevia, a couple of drops of uh, erythritol, uh, you get to a thumbs up from the doc here, uh, again, less is more, but of the artificial sweeteners, those are the only two that you can feel relatively uh, safe about, so those are the ones that you want to consume, stevia and erythritol. Last year, blood pressure guidelines were revised for adults 60 years of age and older, from 140-90 to 150-90. Does this make sense? No, it does not. Um, please comment. Should older folks aim to be 150, 90? Well, before I say shouldn't, uh, uh, that doesn't make sense. What's behind it is this. Um, it, it's not, you don't want to go into your older years with a pressure of 150 over 90. That says for all your younger years, you've been running that high pressure. And that's not, not, not done kind things to the arteries and your eyes and your brain, but, but you go into your 70s with that pressure. We doctors back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, we saw that pressure and we said, oh no, it's got to be below 140, 90, uh, 140, 80. And we would give people these powerful measure medicines and they would work and they would lower that pressure. Little did we realize we had to learn the hard way that by the time the person hits their 70s and 80s with that pressure of 150, 90 pushing blood up to their brain, their brain has become dependent on that high pressure. Their arteries are stiff and thickened and, uh, and when you suddenly drop that pressure uh, there was not enough blood pressure going up to keep their brain perfused and these people would have strokes and we all got burned from that. And so now the cardiologist is saying, don't be aggressive with these older people to lower that pressure. If they was to your office with 150, 90, accept that. Don't go putting them on these potent agents to drop that pressure because you'll, you'll, you may put them at risk for stroke. So that's why they, they raised that threshold. But it's not a sign of health. It's a sign of the American population becoming obese and hypertensive and diabetic. I've watched the markers for inflammation go up, the normal uh, rate for sedimentation rates now signify inflammation is now 40 millimeters of mercury, uh, 40 millimeters uh, per hour that your cells fall. That's, an, that for, you know, 20 years ago, that was grossly abnormal, now it's normal. So instead of telling Americans the truth Instead of telling what they really need to do, get on a whole food plant-based diet, clean out your arteries, they will clean out, that pressure will come down naturally. Oh, heaven forbid, we won't want to tell them to stop eating those cheeseburgers and pizzas. So now we say, oh, well, obesity is okay, and high blood pressure is okay. No, it's not okay. And so this is the doctors not wanting to get sued for for for. Uh, inciting a, a stroke in their patients, but it, it's not a sign of, it's not a good thing to accept 150-90. Uh, the best thing to do is get on a whole food plant-based diet, take a walk every day and let that pressure slide on down, but, but that's what's behind that. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's a concession. Uh, it's not good, good advice and it's not a good comment upon the American national health for sure. What about high sodium in veggies like celery? How much is too much? The good thing about uh, vegetables is that you can't overdose on them. Um, The amount, even though there's, quote, high uh, uh, celery is a high sodium, it's really compared to what's in your salt shaker, compared to what's in a bag of potato chips, compared to what's in the the burrito at the local Mexican restaurant. It has very little sodium in it. And it comes with water and potassium that helps you excrete that sodium load. So really, when it comes to whole foods, have no concern about their, um, about their sodium content, if they're in whole natural form. Now you're eating brine pickles, that's something else, but they're not in their whole natural form. Uh, but if it grew out of the ground or came off a tree, uh, have no concern about the sodium content uh, your body. needs. that's where your body should be getting its sodium, out of the whole fruits and vegetables. So, um, so worry not at all uh, about what's in the food you eat, worry about what somebody else has put into it for you. That's where the problems of the sodium comes in. I do oil pulling, sloshing oil in my mouth for 10 minutes and spitting out. Is it okay? Yep, it's okay. And some people find it really helps their gum health. Uh, as long as you don't swallow the oil, uh, the, it really has no effect upon your, uh, your blood vessels or your health, so enjoy your oil pulling. <clears throat> Dr. McDougall says salt is just a scapegoat uh, for the Western diet. What's your response to this? Well, there's no question. Well, uh, his is um, uh, this is his response to the very very low salt diet uh, that uh, some people may put themselves on. Um, healthy young people can uh, can, as I agree with, uh, put a little sprinkle of salt on their on on their vegetables, and so he and I agree on this. Um, so. Um, you know his comment is that the entire diet is just full of oils and sugars and flesh and and uh, processing chemicals. And I agree with him uh, on that. Um, um, you know, a tiny bit of salt on the food of healthy people uh, is okay with me. I agree with that as well. So he and I really, uh, uh, I don't think salt is the evil enemy. I, I'm okay with a little sprinkle of it on your veggies or a little bit of a uh, spray of tamari sauce, on blue tamari on your uh on your, uh, your rights. That's okay. He and I are not at odds with this. Is there truly a difference between brown sugar and white sugar? The short answer is no. Uh, it is sugar. Um, the, uh, the, the brown, they're both the same. The brown sugar just hasn't been bleached yet. They will bleach the brown sugar with, with chlorine and turn into, and run it through a bone column and turn it into white sugar. But it's sugar. And should, both of them should not be eaten as food. They, uh, the sprinkle of uh, brown sugar, literally a pinch, on your oatmeal, okay, as a flavoring, but you don't want to be eating sugar cookies or or thinking it's a health food in any way, it's not. Um, What guidance can you give for people who want to distinguish cravings from deficiencies? Um, Eat a whole food, plant-based diet. First of all, you got to eat the food. People pay lip service to it, but how many people really sit down every day and have a big helping? Of, of kale or chard or broccoli, Brussels. we have that big helping of greens every day. Have bright yellow sweet potatoes, yams, carrots on their potato every day. How on their, on their plate every day? How many people are really having these big colorful salads every day? Um, how many people are having whole grain quinoa instead of pastas and uh, white flour? Um, if people really did that, they really ate the whole foods, then this whole issue of nutrient deficiencies essentially disappears with, with a with few exceptions, B12, etc. So before people can cons- get concerned about the, the deficiencies, eat the whole foods and, and eat enough of them. And it, it mostly becomes a non-issue. That said, uh, if there's serious concern, you might want to get um, um, a, um, a, well, that's all you really need to do. Um, I'll leave it at that. I'm, we're all backing off from the idea of vitamin supplements these days uh, because um, uh, these vitamins build up to high levels in the body. Uh, it's not—they've uh, uh, started causing instability of, of, um, of membranes. Uh, they may contribute to bone fractures and cancers. We're all backing off of the uh, uh, of the uh, multivitamin uh, bandwagon here. Um, That said, if there's any question, uh, you can get your minerals checked. You can send off a urine, 24-hour urine for minerals and find out if you're deficient. And uh, there's various blood tests and urine tests you can do if you're really concerned. But start with eating the whole foods, and that usually takes care of most every problem. Does your serum sodium on a blood test give you any indication of your overuse or underuse of salt? Absolutely not. The sodium level in your blood is an indication of how much water you are consuming. If you drink water, it dilutes out the sodium. And the level of sodium in your serum is an index of your water balance. If you are dehydrated, the, the, the serum's concentration of sodium goes up. And so high serum sodiums mean you're dehydrated and need to drink more water. Low serum sodiums mean you are drinking too much water. But that's the significance of sodium. It's not uh, that you need to eat more salt. You need to drink less water if you've got a low serum sodium. You're drinking too much water there. People can get water intoxicated. I binge on cookies and coconut ice cream on Tuesday. Why does that happen? How can I reverse it? The sugar cravings are a real thing. But it's coming from up here. It's not deep in your body. We, I've got a sugar crave. We all, we all do. Um, what you got to do, and, and there's books on overcoming carbohydrate addictions, and there's all sorts of, uh, of techniques to do this. But basically, start getting really good at creating and enjoying these wonderful fruit desserts. Uh, and start popping in blackberries and grapes and uh, and increase your physical exercise, drink plenty of water, but become an appreciator of all the wonderful, good fruit trees that you can enjoy and make, and at least, you know, your fruit, your sweet cravings won't disappear, but at least they'll uh, be directed towards a healthy avenue that's not going to hurt you. And eventually, I mean, how many, uh, you know, how much uh, coconut are going to eat there, um, uh, how much? Uh, you know, uh, You know, gluttony is gluttony, and it's not good to sit in front of a TV set and shovel in handfuls of dried fruits. Turn off the television, be fully present with every grape you eat, every apricot you eat. One of my patients, my teachers, Baba Ram wrote a book, Be Here Now. When it comes to eating, you want to eat here now. Become an eater of this grape. Become an eater of this raisin. Be fully present and if you do that you get tremendous satisfaction out of one grape one apricot piece one raisin and uh, and you find the amount of sugars that you consume goes way down and the cravings uh, finally get uh, handled Well, looks like uh, we've gotten to the end, so um, I'll turn it back to Chad. Those were wonderful questions, compliments to the sophistication and the the earnestness of those questions. They're all very important, and I hope uh, my answers uh, shed some light on them. So, again, thank you for your attendance of this webinar. Thank you to Ruby for putting it on. And with that, I will uh, turn the uh, webinar back to Chad.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. It's so great listening to you answer questions, especially. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's so many great questions that came in today. So really, really appreciate your well thought out answers there. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today to uh, for another amazing Ruby Live event here. Um, um, the next live event that we'll be having um, that will be opening to open to the public is uh, the Culinary RX event. We're going to be Joined by Dr. Scott Stoll, myself, and Joe Girard, the CEO uh, of um, of Ruby as well, and we're going to be answering all your questions around the Culinary RX campaign and product, and showing some snippets of uh, of the platform as well. So, um, also want to uh, just mention our professional courses that we have. If you click on the link under the video, you can take a look at our professional plant-based course as well which highlights some of these key cooking techniques that Dr. Clapper had mentioned. So I want to thank you all very, very much for joining us today, and we hope to see you on another Ruby Live event. Until next time, take care.